This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann, and this is Safe Space, a show devoted to subjects that are hard to talk about because they make us feel vulnerable, afraid, or ashamed. This month, I'm focusing on exploring our fears and how we cope with them. And my guest tonight is MC. We're going to be talking about the fear of being a bad mother or of being a bad parent. MC is a therapist who practices in another state. She is the mother of one son, and she's requested that she she's agreed to do this interview on condition of anonymity. So welcome, MC. Welcome to Safe Space. Thank you, Anne. Glad Thank to have you. Thank you for inviting me. I thought we could start right in by um, asking you about your decision to be anonymous and how you how you thought about that and how you decided that was the best way for you. Well, I am loyal to my own parents and to my son and my husband, and and I know that things they may feel and things I might want to share tonight may reflect on those experiences. So it's really a desire to be protective of those people. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like part of the job of being a good mother is to really be protective of them. Yeah, I can understand that. You know, in thinking about this show, I thought there's probably no greater relational responsibility than being a parent. And uh, I can imagine that even doing this subject, talking about this, you know, feels like it breaks a certain taboo in a way. Yeah. So um, I thought we might plunge in and uh, talk specifically about what kind of fears you have about your mothering, kind of when they come up and or what sort of things you find yourself almost beating yourself up with in your mind, like, oh, no, did I do a terrible job there? Or what if? And just kind of let us into some of your experience of that. Right. Well, there are many. <laughs> but uh, I would say for me, um, one of the biggest fears is of being anxiously intrusive. Mm-hmm. So tell me what you mean by that. Uh, well, I mean, worried a lot about my son's well-being and if things are going just right and asking too many questions, being too involved in his Mm. life instead of letting him sort out his experiences and being there to support him. But, you know, there's a part of me that would want to get in there and prevent anything terrible from happening or right. from him doing anything terrible and might want to control every situation. I call it my mother bear part. Right, I can imagine. <laughs> Affectionately. <laughs> yeah, yes, when you try to befriend this part of yourself. Yeah, um, and so when you worry that you're, you're doing that too much, um, what is your fear about the effect that that would have on him? Oh, my fear of the effect on him is that he would feel incompetent about being able to handle things himself. Yeah. Um, that he would wish me out of his life. Uh-huh. So that he might reject you. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that's a big one. And do you have a sense of which one of those two is bigger, or are they both really big? Probably the latter. Right, I can yeah. sense to me. I can understand that. Um, so, 
So you have this kind of worry, and then do you find yourself doing it anyway? Oh, yes. Yeah, so what would be, do you have a story of a time then then you felt like you really were anxiously intrusive? Oh, sure. I mean, it comes up pretty much daily for me <laughs> uh-huh. where, you know, I'll, I'll step into something and realize, oops, that's not my place, but I did it anyway. So an example would be simply, you know, driving home from school. So how was your day? Nothing. Luca, how how was your day? Well, nothing. I don't know. So do you have any highs? Do you have any lows? Do you have any mediums? Okay, so you keep how did pressing it go with him. How your friends today? Uh-huh. <laughs> so rather than just waiting to hear whatever, you know, and whenever he wants to share, there's a yeah. part of me that can get really eagerly, anxiously in there. Sure, you want to know. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And then your fears feel like they come true because you feel like he's shutting you out and he's saying nothing, nothing. Right. Or sometimes he'll say, stop asking questions. Mm. Yeah. And then there's that sinking awareness of that part of me having gone too far. Yeah. That describes it so well. So there's that... That maternal sinking awareness when you feel like, oh, no, I've just done the thing I really didn't want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I can appreciate that. Um, are, there, are there any other stories, any other examples that feels like one that I can relate to, and I know so many can? Any other examples where it feels even more egregious or where you really worry that you've done something that's really hurt him or... Well, let's see. There's so many. <laughs> I mean, there there are stories about wanting to control certain things in his life without really allowing him to come to realizations himself. Mm-hmm. And one of those would be um, he takes piano lessons and... You know, at first we started out with the Suzuki piano method. And the instruction there was, you know, children can't decide whether they want to learn piano for themselves at a young age. So they need their parents to set that decision and hold them to it, whether they want to do it or not, until Uh they're older. I see. So I did this for a few years, and being the the vibrant, spirited child that my child is, yes. he, you know, appropriately fought that pretty hard at times. Uh-huh. It's only recently that I was able to actually say, okay, you don't have to do this. You can make this choice. I recommend that you do this, and here's why. This is a, this is a good idea for such and such reason. I think you might regret it at some point in your life, but I want this to be your decision and for years I was saying, too bad, you you have to do it. No, we're not going to talk about it. When you're 14, we can talk about it. I see, so 14, not until then. Yeah. According to Suzuki, not until you're 14. Well, I'm not saying that's what all Suzuki people would do, but that was the impression that I had and believed strongly uh-huh. that I needed to control this Yeah. And um, and do whatever I could to make it fun, to engage him, to push him, to hold him to the limit. 
to the to the you know um, expectation. Yeah. And um, because I was afraid that otherwise he wouldn't choose to do it. Well, in fact, he did choose to do it when he was given the choice. Oh, it may be it was even beautiful, could... really, mm. when it happened. It was. Uh, I don't. There's no trouble with practicing the piano now. So that's so interesting. So this, the thought of actually taking the choice from him almost evoked his resistance to playing the piano more than if he'd been able to choose it from the start. Perhaps. Yeah. Well, and he did choose it from the start, you know, but he didn't know what he was getting into. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I thought that sounded fun. You know, I knew a couple of friends who did that, and mm-hmm. you know, it's fun to play around on the piano. But he didn't know what practice meant. Yeah. So it sounds to me like you had. For a while there, you had this more controlling stance where you were asserting, I'm making this decision. Meanwhile, all the time having this fear that you might be this overly controlling mother. And then something, and so in some ways not really at peace with the stance you were taking. Oh, absolutely not. I really struggled with it inside. Yeah. Trying to control it and then thinking, you know, this this is too much, You, you know, he feels controlled by me. Am I being too hard on him? And then another part of me saying, "But if you say it's okay not to do it, you're a you know permissive, wimpy parent." Aha! Uh-huh. Well, that's that's what I wanted to ask you. Was kind of what messages were you giving yourself in your mind? So one of them was, if I give in on this, then I'm too permissive. Right. Then I'm a bad mother in a whole other way. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, any you know, other? Not allowing him the opportunity by giving him the structure. To, to do this, you know, we learn that children need um, boundaries and containment in order to feel in control of themselves and safe. And this is true, I think, to a certain extent, you know. But I, a part of me gets very confused about it. Yeah, I can appreciate that. There are several parts of me, yeah. Were there any other kind of external voices that were adding to your inner confusion oh sure i mean there were uh, there's the piano you know piano teacher p- piano parents um, uh-huh. and they and were wa- were they course, all weighing in on the side of you know you need to assert this control you need to insist oh yeah yeah right yeah and um and then i have two parents who are musicians uh-huh. and um your own so, parents mm-hmm. uh, oh wow so that really ups the ante Right, and interestingly, um, you know, they they certainly suggest, you know, setting a standard and holding my child to it. But on the other hand, they really wanted him to do it because he wanted to. Right. So, right. but for me, I love that my parents were musicians. Mm. <laughs> so there's a part of me that, feels like that should be part of anybody's education mm-hmm. and uh, wanted to encourage that in my child. Yeah, that makes total sense. So it's really hard for me to let it go. Yeah. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space. I'm talking to MC about fears of being a bad mother, and um, I'd like to shift now to to other kinds of examples where the two that you've given us about 
you know, asking questions in the car and insisting on piano lessons. They're both about sort of what you brought to the table. I can imagine that there are also a lot of situations where fears of being a bad mother are not triggered by something you do, but by some way that your child acts out in a sort of public situation or in front of your family, mm-hmm. where it's the way they're behaving that makes you go, oh, my God, I must be a terrible mother. And I, I wondered if you had a story about that that you'd be willing to share. Yeah. Okay, well, there are several uh, stories that come to mind, and um, you know, you asked me to think about that, and I, and I, I had several interesting ones, mostly in restaurants <laughs> that came up. Uh-huh. But there's one that really takes the cake. Okay, and that was uh, a few years ago, I think, maybe only two, uh, maybe three. Um, and so my child was like um, six or seven, and. Uh, we had been to the dentist, and he had, um, for the first time, had his mouth numbed. Uh-huh. And um, so, you know, for a child, that's a really weird feeling. Yeah. I realize now. So the dentist said to him and to me as we were leaving, you know, you shouldn't eat for a couple of hours. And I said, okay, well, but he could drink or eat something soft like ice cream, right? Uh-huh. So being... You know, I'm thinking, well, I'll I'll be a really nice mother today and take him to Friendly's because he, you know, poor kid, he can't chew, but ice cream will be really fun, and we never go there, and that will be a real treat. So we go to Friendly's, and he orders his, you know, fantastic sundae or whatever, and he, he, it arrives at the table, and we're sitting in a nice big booth in a sort of comfortable Friendly's restaurant, and... Uh, where other families are eating quietly around us. And the Sunday arrives, and he realizes that he's not going to eat that until his mouth is completely unnumb. Oh, no. <laughs> you oh, know, no. he's like, I can't put that in my mouth. I might bite my tongue. The dentist said so. Oh. And I tried to explain to him, it's soft. You can sort of suck it down. Right, right. <laughs> you can't. You know, there's no problem here. This is what you do after the dentist. But no, you know, he was not taking that risk at all. Mm-hmm. So we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited there in that restaurant booth for probably an hour and a half. Oh, dear. And it, the numbing was still not going on. And meanwhile, I'm talking to him about, well, maybe we should um, abandon this idea and we'll get an ice cream later, or maybe we can take it home and put it in the freezer or right. you know, trying to suggest ways that we could leave. But no, we're not leaving until I get my Sunday, and I can't eat it yet. And so, you know, meanwhile, the waitress had brought it back into the freezer, <laughs> and we were just waiting there at the table with nothing there. Well, finally she brings it out one more time. She had brought it out like three times. No, not really. <laughs> and, then, and then it comes out again, and he's just so frustrated that he, yeah. he threw a spoon across the restaurant uh-huh. and it it landed in somebody else's food oh no the spoon and at that point of course you know he became very upset and yeah embarrassed and just really over over overwrought i would say mm-hmm. so this is an example i mean i i i felt 
you know, on one hand, I was trying to get myself to stay there. On the other hand, I was saying to myself, you should really just leave this restaurant. This is going to escalate. This is going to be a problem. But how are you going to leave the restaurant without, you know, these people seeing your son make a scene? And then, of course, the scene happened. And we did leave the restaurant with him screaming and being upset and not wanting to get into the car for quite a while. And yeah. yeah. So I had all kinds of parts beating me up about. <laughs> yes. Shouldn't have done that. Should have known. Should have ended the whole thing easier. Should have earlier. Should have you know. Mm. Come up with another idea. Right. And it, part of what's so poignant about this story is that you went in feeling like such a good mother. You went in thinking, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I'm doing such a good job. This is so thoughtful. This is going to work so nicely for him. He's going to feel so cared about. And then you leave feeling horrible and yeah, beating yourself I felt up. Like I, mm. yeah, really botched it. Yeah, I can appreciate that. So while we listen to the, just sit with this story. We're going to have a short musical break. Uh, we're going to listen to Sinead O'Connor's "This Is to Mother You." We'll be back in a minute. WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann. This is Safe Space. I'm talking to MC about the fear of being a bad mother. I wanted to um, just stay with this, this amazing story that you had the courage to share with us. And um, at this Friendly's restaurant, the, the sort of brewing disaster that you could feel building and didn't know how to avoid. And I wanted to connect it to, you know, the kinds of things you were saying to yourself in your mind. How much of they were related to how you felt you were brought up and, you know, whether your mother, how she would have handled this and whether it ties into any fears about, you know, her disapproval or judgment of you for not handling it better, whether that plays into your fears. Yeah, uh, well, I grew up in a home where manners and being polite were paramount. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, One did not throw spoons, I'm imagining. No, no. No. And no. in fact, you had to use a spoon in a very certain way. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the part of me that learned to believe that I was bad if I wasn't really polite and if, as a child, was certainly triggered and the part of me that believes that I need to raise my child to be extremely polite and respectful and if I don't then my child is bad and I'm a bad mother and mm, yeah you know, that part gets triggered I would say and uh, right so what you're saying is there's there's some part of you that still believes that that was right that that was a good that that's really important the way you were raised yeah and and, and I would say you know just 
generally the kind of judgments about doing the right thing that I, you know, I received lots of judgments about that as I was growing up if I didn't do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And other people around me did too. And so uh, there are parts of me that feel very um, worried if I think I'm not doing the right thing or if I've made a mistake yes. in general. Yes. And I but can that imagine. Comes into it. Yeah, I can imagine part of what really plays into that is there is no clear right way to parent. It's right. not like, you know, being a student, we learn about. Um, there's like one right way to to learn or to, you know, there's one right answer to the test. And parenting is such a profound, you know, walk in the wilderness where while people will tell you there's one right way, it's so clear that there, it isn't necessarily so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I remember being in places like restaurants and public places where children were misbehaving. Certainly not us, but other children. Right. And, my, you know, my mother being very critical of them. So mm. while sitting in the Friendly's restaurant, uh, and, uh, I think parts of me were feeling highly embarrassed, assuming that other people were thinking those things. Right, right. So then I, I think that must go on for lots of people in yes. our culture. Yes, I'm sure that's true. Mm-hmm. Um Another question I had is sort of just related to the the connection between how we are parented and then how we choose to parent. And I want to know, you know, if some of the fears that you have about being a good parent are related to ways that you really tried to do it differently than your parents, but then start doubting whether that was really the right thing. And just wondering if you struggle with that. Well... Whenever I, um, whenever I make the choice not to give a consequence or um, to let something slide, uh-huh. I, I doubt. Uh-huh. I doubt that decision. I feel very unsteady about it. Yeah. So yeah, you know, until I work with myself on it. So what I'm hearing is that your upbringing was sort of on the stricter end in terms of, you know, you had to hold a spoon a certain way and so on, and that you have made sort of conscious decisions about being a little looser around finer points, but then, and you're doing that presumably out of a value that you care about, but at the same time, it costs you, or you really struggle with wondering if that's really okay. Right, like recently we were at some friends, a friend's house for dinner, and um, you know, I noticed my son eating and talking with his mouth full, and mm. you know, part of me is mortified, <laughs> thinking you don't stress that enough at home. Right, and it's what's interesting to me to listen to is it's not oh my gosh my child is bad. It's instantly oh I'm at fault. You know, I haven't I haven't taught him well enough. Oh yeah, yeah. So that so that. His misbehavior, so-called, almost immediately reflexively becomes something bad about you. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, although sometimes there are some situations where things that he may do are, I get concerned about them. But then I think um, it usually comes back to that because then I think 
sometimes I start, you know, diagnosing him or... Right. <laughs> Somebody something. here has to be a fault. Either right. Me or and, him. And, but usually that comes back to something we're doing as parents. So, but maybe it's uh, organic or, you know. Right, right. So I want to shift gears now, just we have about five more minutes, and I'd like to ask you about what has helped you? I hear, you know, all the ways, the daily ways that we, you question yourself, you know, every ride back from school and so on. Mm-hmm. What has helped you with your fears? Mm, yeah. Uh, talking to myself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, you're not crazy. In fact, no, it's helpful. So what do you say to yourself when you talk to yourself about this? Well, you know, uh, I've done a lot of personal work. Mm-hmm. therapy and other ways with myself and so I've learned how to separate from these parts of me that are um, very self-judging and mm. upset and uh, so I, I try to talk to them with curiosity and understanding and you know like if I'm really feeling upset that I made a bad decision, like, say, the restaurant thing, the ice cream thing. Yeah. I could I could sort of sit back after a while and say, okay, you know, how do, uh, how do I feel toward that part of me that made those decisions? And, you know, I might end up saying, like, you know, well, I can understand that you thought it was a good idea to go into the ice cream booth and what a hard situation to get out of and oh, it was just such a setup for both of you, and, you know, start it starts to soften. Yeah. Yeah, so that's... that's so you start it. having compassion for yourself. Yeah. And even... I mean, it it's, it's, sometimes takes quite a while to get there. Yeah, mm. yeah. But well, ultimately, that seems to be the most helpful thing. Mm-hmm. Right, and in fact, I mean, what's striking about the story is how much you were trying how incredibly sincere your intentions were about helping him with this difficult experience. You know, it backfired profoundly, but it wasn't for lack of trying. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) How about other things, like, um, how about talking to other mothers? Has that been helpful to you? Well, to some extent. It depends who I'm talking to. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I don't know. I think people keep this pretty pretty close to themselves. I don't know how much. I, I often wonder, are you really that confident? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, as a mother, when I look at other mothers, and I I don't always feel like um, people would understand uh-huh. about what goes on inside of me. But I do have friends who feel like I do, and um, when they when I can share my parts of me that worry and feel self-judging and they can share that they really understand that and they go through that. It really helps. Yeah. I think it's what you're saying feels very important that the extent to which mothers compare ourselves to other people, you know, that, and then if people sort of present a front of everything's great, I'm doing fine, I'm so confident, it actually can become very painful when, when you're not feeling that way yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can appreciate that. Um, and I, I would love to hear a little bit about when you fear, and we just have one and a half minutes left, but mm-hmm. when you fear that you've done something horrible and you're beating yourself up, 
if there's anything you've learned to do in talking to your son about that mm, that's helped yeah. you. Right. Well, uh, I have. I, I've learned that it's possible to make repair, mm. and, that, and that has been incredibly freeing. Yeah. Um, to be able to, to own my own impatience or intense reaction to explain about the parts of me that get like that and why they get like that, to really listen to what it was like for him and to imagine out loud for him what I imagine it might have been like uh-huh. for him, you know, like, oh, you must have felt like I didn't understand you or something like that. Yeah. And, and, and um and yeah, so that really that has been so valuable. I'm so glad we're going to have to end, but it does feel like you're saying the simple value of an apology and of listening. Timeless. Yeah. So, Mary Claire, uh, so I need to stop, and I wondered if you might let us know of a reading or a book that's been a oh. wonderful resource for you. Yeah. Well, I love the book "The Secret of Parenting" by Anthony Wolfe. And it's actually called The Secret of Parenting, How to Be in Charge of Today's Kids from Toddlers to Preteens Without Threats or Punishment. I also love the book called Raising Your Spirited Child by Mary Sheedy Kersinka. Thank you so much. Thank you, MC, for being my guest. I've really enjoyed hearing from you. Thank you for inviting me in. Yeah, this is Dr. Ann at Safe Space on WMPG. My thanks to Jen Hodgson for mixing the sound and Maurice Lennon for the music. Um, if you would like to contact me to get more information, if you would like to contact MC, or if you'd like to suggest a new topic for the show, please email me at drannwmpg at gmail.com. That's dr.annewmpg at gmail.com. Next Wednesday at 7.30, I'll be hosting Mayor Honan talking about the fear of working with the homeless and uh, how she works with that. Coming up next is Money Talks with Allison.